Well, hello, everybody. I'm glad to have you all here for uh, night number three, third night. So we have two behind us. We have tonight and two more ahead of us. So we're right in that halfway point. And uh, I tell you, we've got some big topics to get into. And we've had big topics, haven't we? Uh, the first night we talked about the beast of Revelation 13, the first beast from the sea. And then last night we talked about the second beast from the earth. And tonight we're going to go into uh, what the Bible refers to as three angels' messages. So uh, some of you, I think, have probably never heard this before. So if you haven't, uh, get ready for, for quite a ride. I tell you, these, me these, uh, these messages are very powerful. I gave this series uh, in the, where was I, in the Tyler, Texas area. Uh, Tyler is what, about an hour and a half from here? Something like that? And I gave a series called Three Angels Flying Over Texas. So this is going to be the same messages with a few new insights. Uh, but these are just, uh, I tell you, you'll see when we're done how powerful this is. So open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Chapter 14. And by the way, we have no, we're not selling anything tonight. Uh, this church keeps the Sabbath from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. So when the sun goes down Friday night, uh, we don't sell books or CDs, but we will tomorrow night. So when the sun goes down tomorrow, at the end of the last meeting, we'll have the table open. Uh, Nivelle's uh, music CDs will be there. I've got a number of tracks and pocketbooks and bigger books and free things. So that'll all be available uh, tomorrow. All right, so let us pray. Let's begin with prayer and let's talk to God and ask him to be with us. Heavenly Father, we have gathered together here in this church to hear your, your word. And we've, we've already heard it through Nivelle. What powerful music and singing. You've given him a gift and you're using him to touch our hearts. And as we get into the, into the Bible, as I lead out and speak, we all pray that, that your Holy Spirit will be here. Lord, we need the Spirit of God. This world is full of sin and confusion and problems, and we need your help. I need your help. So we ask that you'll be with us and speak to us and open our hearts to hear the messages from heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, messages from heaven. All right, three angels over Texas, part one. Tomorrow at 11 will be part two, and at four o'clock will be part three. Um, that is a picture of something like what our planet looks like from space. Uh, I don't know if that's an actual photograph. It might be. Uh, I don't know if anybody's, any of you saw this or not, but some time ago I saw a... Uh, short documentary of William Shatner. Does that name ring a bell? He was uh, Captain Kirk in the original Star Trek. And William Shatner, uh, he's still alive and in his, uh, not too long ago, in his older years, he got on a spaceship and went up into space for real. This was not Hollywood, this was real. And he went up there and he was able to look down 
or look out and see uh, the beautiful orb in the sky. And he was so moved. He was, he was just, when he was being interviewed after this, uh, the man was crying because, of course, you know, he's been in the Star Trek movies, but he's never really been out there. But this time, he really went out there, and he actually looked, and he saw the earth, and he just wept. I don't know if he's a Christian man or a spiritual man or not. I have no idea, but uh, I was touched, touched by that. And if you were to go to outer space, you know, if Elon Musk were to give you a ride on one of his uh, SpaceX ships that are hoping to go to Mars someday, uh, and if you were to see the Earth, it really does look peaceful from a distance, doesn't it? The Earth just looks so pristine and so, uh, so beautiful. But if you get closer and closer and closer to the Earth, you discover, which we all know, that this world is far from peaceful. Isn't that right? There's all kinds of things that are happening on this planet. Uh, pollution. There are uh, deadly things that are being pumped into the oceans. They're in the skies. They're in the rivers. They're in the air that we breathe. Uh, there's a lot of pollutants that are all around us. And then there are also disasters, deadly disasters that hit this, hit this planet, like fires. And there's a picture of a tornado and an earthquake and a, and a hurricane and uh, you never know. There's really no place on this earth that's completely safe. Uh, I grew up in Los Angeles where we had a lot of earthquakes. Now I live in North Idaho where there's not very many earthquakes, but we get fires up there. And our insurance, our homeowner's insurance has just been going up through the roof because the insurance companies are trying to protect themselves uh, in case there's fires. So some places have hurricanes, some places have earthquakes, some places have fires, but it just seems like wherever you go, you can't completely avoid uh, the possibility of some kind of a disaster. And then, of course, when you look at people's lives, you look at the headlines, uh, you see all kinds of uh, immorality. We see it all around us. We see violence, uh, social and political divisions. I've never seen a time in my life, my lifetime, where there is so much hostility and animosity and division between groups do you see that? Do you feel that? I mean, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats have never gotten along. But now, I mean, <laughs> it seems to be worse. And there's just uh, so many uh, tension. There's racial tensions. There's social tensions. There's social media tensions. Uh, there's just all kinds of tensions that are going on. And one of the things that's really growing uh, these days, which is just tragic, uh, is uh, depression and suicide. You know, people are taking their lives because they get to the end of their ropes and they don't know what to do. And if they don't have a faith in God, if they don't believe that there is a God up there who loves them, who cares for them, who's given us a Bible, who has a plan for us, sometimes the pressures just become too great. And people, um, you know, they... They take their lives. Uh, it's just, uh, it's beyond words. And then, of course, people get sick. You know, heart disease, diabetes, cancer. Uh, the list just goes on and on. Um, arthritis, uh, hard to get out of bed. You know, different things just 
just hit people and uh, there's, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of suffering in this world, right? A lot different from looking at it from, from the distance. Looking at it from a long way away, it looks beautiful, but you get down here and you think, my, what, is, what are all these things? Uh, what's behind all of this? Uh, why is this going on? How long are these things going to go on? Are they going to go on forever or is there going to be an end to tragedy? And of course, uh, you know, the worst thing is when somebody breathes their last breath and they are laid to rest. Um, I think all of us know people that have, have died and uh, my, my mom is dead, my dad is dead, my mother's husband is still alive. He's 90 years old and he has a famous saying, he says, we're all in God's waiting room. We're all just waiting for our day to come. And he's right, you know. And one of these days, if, uh, if Jesus doesn't come first, uh, that's going to be you or me. Your name is going to be on a stone. And so will mine. Uh, that's just the way it is down here. Uh, what do they say? Who was it? Benjamin Franklin has said, uh, there's certain things in life that you can't get away from. And one of them is uh, his taxes. And then I think death is the other one. You know, we just, there's certain things we can't, we can't avoid. And uh, what's happening here is in the world is that political leaders and uh, different philosophers and teachers are looking at what's happening in the world and they are coming up with uh, apparent solutions. There's many people that say this or say that. This is what we need to be doing. This is what the planet needs to do. We need to solve climate change. We need to solve this or solve that, and then everything will get better. Many voices claiming to have answers and solutions to our global mess, right? A lot of voices, and they don't all say the same thing, do they? Uh, sometimes it's very confusing to listen to all these voices and think, you know, what do I do? Which voice should I listen to in the midst of all of this confusion? Well, I'm here to tell you that there is a voice that we can trust. There is another voice in the midst of all the voices that is speaking to the human family, that is speaking to your heart, speaking to my heart, speaking to all of us. Uh, and that voice ultimately is the voice of God. The voice of God, not my voice, and I hope that God will speak through me, but ultimately it's not my voice, it's God's voice. And God speaks through a book. He speaks through his word, through this book. When we read this book, we are listening to his voice. And you may not be aware of this, or you may, but when you really read this book carefully, especially the final pages in this book, you discover that there is a special message that God has for the world, a special message a distinct message, a direct message. It's a deep message. It's a powerful message. It's a transforming message. 
and it is full of hope for those who are willing to listen and to respond. Now, before I get into uh, the first message, and then tomorrow morning will be the second message, and then tomorrow at 4 o'clock will be the third message, before I get into that, I want to ask you four questions. Quiz time. Four quiz questions. I mentioned that my wife is a high school math teacher and she gives quizzes. And so I give quizzes too, sometimes to my audiences. So uh, question, quiz question number one. Who knows what is the world's all-time best-selling book that's been translated in more languages and uh, printed from more presses and downloaded on more uh, smartphones than any other book in the history of the world. That's right, you've got it. It's not Harry Potter, it's the Bible. It's the Word of God. And I think that's impressive. You know, a lot of people don't believe the Bible, but they should at least consider the fact that it's the world's all-time best-selling book. Uh, much higher than a New York Times bestseller. That's for sure. So you got the first question, right? Okay, second question. Of all the people that have ever lived, from Adam to today, who is the most famous person who has ever lived who has had more books written about him and his life than any other single human being? It's Jesus, that's right, Jesus Christ. You know, much more than Oprah or any major talk show host or uh, any person that's ever lived. Uh, Jesus um, has more followers in this world. Christianity, which is based on his life and death and resurrection, is the largest religion in the world. Even though Christians often make mistakes, you know, and don't do things right, don't always represent the master, but nevertheless, uh, Jesus is the most famous person that's ever lived. Even the calendar is divided at him, B.C. and A.D., before Christ. So uh, I think that's pretty significant. Okay, third question. What is, which book within the Bible is the most widely read and widely translated book around the world that talks about the future, that talks about what's coming, that talks about biblical prophecies. Anybody know which book? It is, it's the last book of the Bible. That's right, it is the book of Revelation. So there's the world's best-selling book. Here is the world's most famous person who once said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me and I will give you rest. And here is the Bible's most well-known book that deals with the future. It is the book of Revelation. And significantly, the book of Revelation, the reason why it has this name here, turn on my pointer, Revelation is because the first sentence says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
So that's, what, that's why it's called revelation, because it, it is the revelation of Jesus. And it's also full of predictions. It says, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So the book of Revelation is a book about future events. That's what it's about. It's about Bible prophecy, biblical prophecies. Okay, last quiz question. Uh, there's 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. Which chapter of the 22 reveals the last message of God to the world before Jesus returns again. What chapter? 14. That's right, Revelation chapter 14. Uh, Revelation chapter 14 describes what we in our church refer to as the three angels' messages. Three angels flying over Texas. Three angels flying over Indiana and over uh, California and over New York and over Paris and over Rome and over Jerusalem and over Moscow. Uh, these angels, as we will see, are flying around the world. And they're found in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Revelation chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 6 to 12. And uh, the song that Nivelle sang just a little bit ago was about the first angel. He sang the words of the first angel. Uh, what a mighty message, I tell you. It just, it just went right through me when I heard that song. So thank you so much for letting God use you to put together a song on the, on the first angel. Now, what I'd like to do right now is just, we're just going to read them. And then we're going to be talking about the first angel tonight, the second angel tomorrow in the morning, and the third angel in the uh, late afternoon. So I'm just going to read these, and I want you just to, you know, open your heart and just try, you know, tune your, you know, like I'm assuming this piano at some point gets tuned you know, people know how to tune pianos. And God wants to tune your ability to hear his voice. We all need a tune-up, don't we? So many voices these days, we all need a tune-up. So when I read these verses, uh, actually what I'd like to do before I read them is pray another prayer and pray that God will uh, tune our ears that we can hear the power of these messages. And if you've never heard them before, you know, don't, don't feel bad if you don't understand every word right away. Uh, you know, first we have to, you know, we have to start learning. We learn a little more, a little more, a little more, like kids that go to school. You know, they start out in, in uh, kindergarten and then they go to first grade and second grade and they learn more. And I've been studying the three angels' messages for 44 years. And I'm still learning. So I don't claim that I, uh, that I know everything, that's for sure, and that I don't have more to learn. So these messages are deep. They're very deep. And they're very powerful. So let's pray another little prayer and pray that God will tune our minds to, 
to be impressed with the importance of these messages. Uh, dear Father in heaven, as we read the three angels' messages and hear them, please penetrate our hearts and impress us with the power of these messages, that they're very important, that we need to study them and learn what you are trying to say to us in this age of history. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay. Uh, verse 6. John said, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell upon the earth, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. That's the first angel's message. Verse 8 is angel number 2. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made how many nations? All the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And verse 9 says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice. So that's how we know there's three of them. Here's the third. And he said with a loud voice, If any man worships the beast and his image, and receives his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receives the mark of his name. And here's the conclusion of the third angel's message. Here is the patience of what group? Of the saints. That's right, these are God's people. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I like the fact that the three angels' messages start with Jesus, with the everlasting gospel. Jesus is in the middle of these messages in verse uh, 10. At the end of the verse, it talks about the lamb. And in verse 12, the last word of the first angel, or the third angel's message is Jesus. And remember, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this book comes from Jesus. The three angels come from Jesus. He's at the beginning. He's in the middle. He's at the end. Uh, these messages are just completely centered in, in him. Now, if you uh, go to verse 14, which is right after the three angels, 
Verse 14 says, I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like the son of man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now who is the son of man? It's Jesus, that's right. And so when the three angels are done, then there's a picture of Jesus sitting on a cloud with a golden crown, the King of kings and Lord of lords coming down to the earth with a sickle to reap the harvest of the earth. So do you feel the weight of these messages? Do you, feel, do you feel just sense how powerful they are, uh, how, how important they are? Now, let me just uh, click my button here and show you, show you a slide that just illustrates what I've just read. That in chapter 14, verses 6 to 12, we have three angels that give messages. These are God's last message to the world. And then right after those messages are over, it says, then comes the return of Jesus Christ. So I just want you to get that point. Three angels followed by the return of Jesus. And the more you study this and pray over this and, and try to understand it, uh, you discover that the three angels' messages are the messages that God sends to the world to prepare people for the return of Jesus. That's what these messages are all about. We, uh, at the end of history, Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he wants us to be ready for that, for his return. So God wants to get us ready. He wants to get a people ready around the world. He wants to get a people ready. And so the way he gets people ready is by sending the three angels' messages so the people will receive them, understand them, study them, let them transform their lives and prepare them so that when Jesus does come, we're ready. Does that make sense? Three angels to prepare people for the return of Jesus. Now, uh, let me uh, ex explain some things to you. If you look at Bible history, if you go back all the way, you know, back throughout the pages of the Bible, you will discover that whenever God is about to do something big, I mean, I'm talking about really big in the history of the world, he always lets people know about it. He always sends a message to help people to understand that he's about to do something big. Uh, one, of the, one of the early examples of that is the days of Noah. If you go back to Bible history, uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, God made the world. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve yielded to the, to the serpent at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and sin came into humanity, and that began uh, the history of sin in this world. You go to chapter 4, men began to multiply on the earth, chapter 5, and by the time you get to chapter 6, in Genesis, uh, the world was very, very wicked. It was very evil. It says in Genesis chapter 6 that God looked upon the earth and it says his heart was full of pain because he saw 
that the wickedness on the earth and that every imagination of man's heart was only evil all the time. And there was a lot of violence and it says all flesh had corrupted themselves upon the earth. So when God first made the world, it was perfect. Uh, Adam and Eve were placed in a beautiful garden. There was no sin. They had all this fruit that they could eat. They were healthy. They were happy. They were in love. They were married. Uh, you know, everything was perfect. But when sin came in, everything got messed up. And by the time you get to Genesis 6, the world is in a, is in a terrible state. The world was so wicked that the limits of God's patience were almost, was almost reached. In Genesis 6, God says, my spirit will not always strive with man. I'm not going to be working with man forever. And so uh, before God ended that world, he did something. He raised up a man. And what was that man's name? Noah. That's right. He raised up a man named Noah. And he gave Noah a mission. He gave him an assignment. He gave him a message. And a part of his assignment was to build a boat, to build a very big boat, a ship. And that boat was called the Ark. And does anybody remember how many floors or stories the Ark had? Three. That's right. There was a, it says in Genesis there was a lower deck, there was a middle deck, and there was an upper deck. Three decks. So it was, it was a three-story boat. And God gave Noah a message, and he told him that even though it, has, it had never rained yet, he told them, I want you to build the boat, and I want you to tell the people of the world that uh, sometime in the not-too-distant future, there's going to be something called rain. And they had never seen rain before. Rain is going to come down from the sky. And it's going to come down so heavy, it's going to rain and rain and rain and rain and rain, and the whole world is going to end up underwater. And God said, what I, what I want you to do through Noah was I want you to get into the boat so you can be protected when the water comes down. So here's the, here's the picture. The end of the world was coming in Noah's day, at least the end of their world. It was going to come from water coming down from the sky. God raised up a man to build a three-story boat to call the people into the three-story boat. And those that got in were protected when the water came down. Now, sadly, how many people got in? Yeah, only eight people. The majority thought Noah was a crazy old man. They thought this is nuts. You know, our scientists are telling us that that could never happen. Our philosophers and our religious leaders, they don't agree with you, Noah. They don't believe you're right that there's going to be a flood coming that's going to destroy the world. We've never seen it, water come down from the sky. We don't think it can happen. We think you're a little bit off your rocker, and you probably ought to see a therapist. But Noah continued to preach, and finally... The day came for his last sermon. The boat was built. It was done. And it's interesting that God sent a sign, a sign to the people that this was no joke. And the sign was, out of the forest started marching the animals. Big animals, small animals, birds flocked. 
and they started going into the boat. And the people looked at that and said, we've never seen that before. And they looked at their religious leaders and their scientists and their uh, experts, and they said, how do you explain that? And they said, we don't know. <laughs> we don't have an explanation for that. And so finally, they, all the animals got in, and then Noah's family got in, his wife and his kids and their wives, they all got in, and Noah was standing outside the door, and he gave one last message. He said, I'm telling you, God told me the rain is coming, and if you don't get into the, into the boat, you are going to die. You are going to drown. You will not survive. Please come into the boat. And I can imagine the, the Holy Spirit was speaking to people's hearts and saying, do it, get in, make a choice. But other people said, don't do it. It's not going to happen. This is crazy. He's nuts. We don't know why the animals went in, but I don't see any clouds up there, and it's not going to happen. So finally Noah preached his last sermon, got into the boat, and the Bible says that the Lord shut him in, that the massive door closed supernaturally, and when that happened, Noah and his family were inside the boat, and everybody else was outside the boat, outside the boat. The majority is never right. We can't afford to follow what's popular and what the majority say. When God speaks to our consciences and tells us what's right and what's wrong and that he wants us to follow him, that's the voice we need to listen to, not the voice of everybody else. So Noah and his family were in, they were protected, everybody else was out, and did the rain come down? Yes, it did. And did the people, did they survive? Not those who are outside the ark. And I imagine when the rain started coming down, a lot of them probably changed their minds. And they probably banged on the door and they said, Noah, 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 we are sorry. We made a mistake. We want to come in. But by that time, it was too late. Maybe Noah his voice was heard on the other side of the door saying, I can't open the door because God closed the door and I can't open it. And the water got higher and higher and higher and eventually all those people drowned. That's what, what happened. That's what the Bible says. When you read Genesis 6, chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8, that's exactly what it says, that the world uh, went down under the water. And... Before God sent the water, he gave a message, right? God's not just going to bring the rain without letting people know about it. So that's what he did in the days of Noah. Now, another time that he was about to do something big was in the days of Moses. Uh, after the flood, Noah and his family got out of the ark. They began to multiply and uh, repopulate the earth. And slowly, the plants came back, the vegetation came back, the animals went out of the ark, and they and multiplied, and so the world got back to a, a fairly normal place. And a lot of history went on by the time you get to the second book of the Bible from Genesis to Exodus. The next book, 
the people of God at that time, the people of Israel, had multiplied and they were in Egypt and they were slaves to the Egyptians and the time was almost, had almost arrived for God to do something else that was big. He was going to bring a whole nation out of Egypt and bring them to Mount Sinai and give uh, those people the Ten Commandments. And so, um, what did God do? He raised up a man, a man named Moses. Uh, somebody once said that it took, Moses lived in Egypt for 40 years, then he was in the wilderness for 40 years, then he came back and God used him to bring the people out of Egypt for the last 40 years of his life. He lived about 120 years, he lived a long, long life. And somebody said, once said, it took Moses the first 40 years of his life to learn that he was somebody. He thought he was going to become the new Pharaoh. And then it took him the second 40 years of his life to learn that he was nobody when he was out in the wilderness taking care of sheep. And then it took him the last 40 years of his life to learn what God could do with a nobody. And he used him to bring the people out of Egypt. So he sent him to Pharaoh and he gave him a message. And the message was, Israel is my son, let my son go. Thus says the Lord. And Pharaoh said, I don't know the Lord, and I'm not going to let Israel go. And so God sent plagues through Moses, ten plagues, one after the other, one by one. They got more and more severe until finally the last plague was threatened that all the firstborn of the land would die, including Pharaoh's own son. And Moses pleaded with him, listen to the voice of God, to the voice of Jehovah, so your own son doesn't die. But Pharaoh didn't listen, and so at midnight, the angel of death went through Egypt, and the Israelites were instructed to put blood on the doors of their houses, and when the angel saw the blood, it says he passed over their homes. And that's where the word Passover comes from. And Jewish people today still celebrate the Passover because of what happened approximately 3,400 years ago when the angel of death passed over their homes. And God brought a whole group of people out of Egypt, brought them to Mount Sinai, gave them the Ten Commandments, and then eventually brought them into the Promised Land. So before God does something big, he sends a messenger and a message. Uh, another example is Jonah. Jonah lived in a city named Nineveh, or at least he was in that area. Uh, I don't think he lived in Nineveh, but he was sent to Nineveh. God raised him up and he told him that Nineveh is a wicked place. It's so violent, it's so wicked, it's so evil that I want you to go to Nineveh and tell the people in 40 days this city is going to be destroyed. And Noah, I mean, uh, Jonah fulfilled his, uh, his message. He didn't do it at first. He went the other way. And then uh, he got thrown into the water and a fish swallowed him up for three days and then the fish spit him out. He must have looked ghastly after three days of being in the belly of a fish. He was probably white, and he, he just probably looked very scary. 
So maybe that was one of the reasons why the people repented, because this guy, you know, that just came out of a fish for three days and looked awful, was telling them this city's going to be overthrown by God in 40 days. And in that instance, the people repented. The king repented. He issued a proclamation. Everybody repent, repent, repent. And God spared the city. He spared the city because if people repent, he will forgive. Praise the Lord. And uh, that's what happened in the days of, of uh, Jonah. Now then there's another man. You go down farther to the New Testament and God was about to do something really big. I mean, it was as big as it gets. He was about to send his own son into the world to be born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of prophecy, to grow up, to live uh, a holy, loving, perfect life without sin, to suffer in the Garden of Gethsemane, to die on the cross for the sins of the world, and then to be resurrected from the dead so that human beings could be saved from their sins and be transformed so they could someday live in a holy heaven. And uh, before Jesus began his public ministry, God raised up another man. And his name was John. John the Baptist, because John baptized people. And his voice boomed from the wilderness. And his voice said, repent, repent. And he said, I am a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. So he, his message was to prepare people, to help them get ready for the coming of the Messiah so they could respond to Jesus and they could uh, be saved. So you see the pattern? That when God does something big, he sends a message. When Jesus came the first time 2,000 years ago, God sent a message through John the Baptist. Doesn't it make sense that as he's getting ready to come back a second time, that he's going to send a message? Doesn't that make sense? It does make sense. If you go down farther into Christian history, uh, history is very checkered with ups and downs, and the church uh, eventually moved into the Dark Ages in Europe especially, and it was very dark and a lot of traditions, a lot of uh, teachings that had come into Christianity that were really not found in the Bible. They're not here, but Christians are believing them. And so God raised up another man in the 1500s whose name was Martin Luther. He was a monk. He was a Roman Catholic monk, but he was an honest man, a searching man who started studying the Bible, and he learned about Jesus, he learned about salvation by faith, and God raised him up to give a message to the church in his day. And the message that Luther gave to the church was essentially that Everybody needs to get back to the Bible, back to the Word of God and away from the traditions of men that had come into the church. Come out of these traditions 
and follow Jesus in the Bible. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ, not by works, not by going to priests, not by uh, saying the rosary, not by you know, praying uh, formal prayers. That's not the way people get ready for heaven. They get ready for heaven by giving their hearts to God, repenting of their sins, and believing in Jesus Christ. That's what Luther taught. So that was in the 1500s. So we've got Noah, we've got Moses, we've got Jonah, we've got John the Baptist, we've got Luther. Now when we go down farther, down to our day, to 2023, <laughs> does God have a message for this world today? Does he have a definite, distinct, clear, powerful, life-changing message that's comparable to the message of Noah and Moses and Jonah and John and Luther? Yes, he does. He does have a message. And that message is the message of the three angels in Revelation chapter 14 which come right before the biblical description of the return of Jesus. That's what we see in our Bibles. Now, here's a very interesting point, and you, you need to, I'm just going to kind of plant this seed because I can't expect you just, or at least many of you, to just understand all this right away. But I want to plant a seed, and here's the seed that if you look at the history of the Bible and you look at the history of the church, of Christianity, for 2,000 years since the time of Jesus, there has never been a time, at least for most of history, where the three angels' messages were uh, preached and taught by people around the world. It didn't happen in the early church. It didn't happen... Uh, in the time of Constantine in the fourth century. It didn't happen in the time of Martin Luther. Luther did not open up the Bible to Revelation 14 and go through the first angel, the second angel, the third angel. He did not do that. The three angels have never been preached in church history as a unit until the 1830s and the 1840s. That's where it started. And it started actually with a man who was a, a, a Baptist farmer whose name was William Miller. William started studying the Bible and studying prophecy, and he eventually started studying the three angels' messages. And he started preaching and teaching. God called him to preach. Actually, I've read a lot about William Miller's life, and uh, as he was starting to learn prophecy, he had this conviction, you need to preach and tell the world. And William Miller, who was a Baptist farmer, he said, Lord, I can't do that. I'm a farmer. I'm not a preacher. So, the, uh, but the, the impression got so strong in his head that finally he, he made a deal with God. And he said, okay, Lord, if you send someone to my door to invite me to, to speak about the, uh, the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, and invite me to their church, then I'll go. But if that doesn't happen, I'm not going to do it. And as soon as he said that, he thought, Whew, 
That's never going to happen because it had never happened to him before. And shortly after he uh, prayed that prayer and made that deal with God, there was a knock on his door. And it was his nephew from a nearby church. And the nephew said, uh, Father Miller, uh, our minister can't come this, this uh, coming Sunday. And we were wondering if you would come to our church and take his place and give us a Bible study on what you're learning in Daniel and Revelation. And uh, the, the historians tell us that William Miller turned as white as a ghost. And he, uh, he ran out the back door into his orchard. And the, the saying is that he went into the orchard a farmer and he came out a preacher. That's what happened. He finally said, okay, God, I cannot resist this. And so he, uh, he began to preach in 1831. And uh, his preaching continued to grow and grow. And there was a whole interdenominational movement of Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and different people, especially in the, the northern parts, northeastern part of the United States, in Maine uh, and different states on the East Coast. And there were thousands of people that joined this movement, thousands of them. And they were given a nickname, and the nickname was the Adventists. It was called in history the Great Second Advent Awakening, just like in the 1500s was the Protestant Reformation, spearheaded by Martin Luther. In the 1800s, there was the Great Second Advent Awakening. And it was an interdenominational movement, and it was different people who believed that the advent or the return of Jesus was getting closer. And the main message that they preached was the first angel's message. They said, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in it. And they read the scriptures that said, Jesus is coming back soon. So that's where the three angels' message got started. It's, it's kind of like a plane. You know, when, when I get into a plane and I f travel regularly, the plane goes down the runway, and then it, get, it builds speed, and then it takes off. And in the 1830s and 40s and 50s and 60s, the three angels' messages started going down the runway, and then they, they took off. And today, today, in 2023, there are people all over the world on television, radio, on the internet, uh, YouTube, that are talking about the three angels' messages, just like we are right here. We're not the only ones. There's a lot of people uh, that, are, that are doing this. Now, I'll tell you what happened to me. Here's a picture of me when I was about 18 years old, I was a, uh, sometimes I say I was a uh, pot smoking, disco dancing, cocaine snorting, lost Jew living in Los Angeles. Uh, and I had never read the Bible in my life. I'd never prayed a prayer. All my friends were just partiers. I went to North Hollywood High, we smoked pot, we went to the discos, went to parties, we did all kinds of things that I'm not proud of, but that's all I knew. 
That was, that was my life. That was my friend. So someone took a picture of me here, flicking a, a lighter in front of a bar lamp at my dad's house. I was 18 or 19. My eyes were probably bloodshot bloodshot, because I, I was not only a drug user, but I was a drug dealer. And, uh, and then what happened, it's a long, I don't have time to tell you the story, but when I was 20 years old, God got a hold of me. God, got, he reached down from heaven and he said, Steve Wahlberg, I want you. Like, you know, Uncle Sam wants you. God said, I want you. I've got a plan for your life. Your life is not aimless. You're here for a purpose. I made you. I love you. I sent my son to die for you. And I have a plan for your life. And uh, one day I read a book called The Desire of Ages on the Life of Jesus. And when I was done with that book, I knew that Jesus was my Savior. And I got on my knees and I prayed, Lord, I'm sorry for all my sins. Come into my life and change me and, and help me. If you've got a plan for me, I want it. And praise God, um, I am not the same as what you see on that screen anymore. <laughs> the Lord has changed me. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Now I listen to, instead of listening to Mick Jagger and uh, ZZ Top and the Grateful Dead and, uh, and the Rolling Stones and all these different groups, now I listen to Navelle Peter. <laughs> yeah. I listen to godly music that's going to bring me closer to Jesus. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Uh, as I started reading the Bible in 1979, 44 years ago, the more I read, I eventually got to the book of Revelation. And I eventually got to Revelation chapter 14. And I eventually started reading the three angels' messages of Revelation 14 and a reading about them. And um, what happened to me was similar to what happened to William Miller. I had this conscience voice inside my head and the voice was telling me, Steve Wahlberg, not only do I want you to be a, a follower of Jesus, but I want you to give the three angels messages. I want you to swell the chorus of the growing voices that have been growing since the 1830s and 40s and 50s down into the 1900s and now into the, uh, the new millennium. I want you to give the three angels messages one by one. First angel, second angel, third angel, this is my call on your life. And like William Miller, I remember sitting at my dad's house and just wrestling over this. And I was just thinking, Lord, I don't think I can do this. You know, you know Moses said, Lord, I can't, I can't do it. I'm not eloquent. I can't do it. And God said, who made man's mouth? 
I've give, I will give you a mouth and I will teach you what to say. So Moses finally went. And, uh, and, and Mil Miller didn't want to do it. But finally the knock came on the door and he said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And uh, I wrestled back and forth at my dad's house in Studio City with the, the calling to give the three angels messages. I thought, Lord, are you really calling me to do this? And finally, I made a deal with God, <laughs> like William Miller did. And my deal was this. I said, Lord, I'll do it under one condition. And my one condition is, you have got to help me. You've got to be with me, because I can't do this on my own. And uh, that was in uh, probably 1979 or 1980. That was uh, 43 years ago. And since that time, I've had a lot of ups and downs, a lot of battles, a lot of dark days and good days and different days, but God has held on to me. And now I am the speaker director of a ministry called Whitehorse Media. And our ministry is totally dedicated to giving the three angels messages around the world. We have a YouTube channel that's now crossed over the 10 million view mark. Uh, we, have, we have books and, and YouTube videos and um, seminars that we give. Uh, and we are just one of many ministries that are out there in this world right now that are doing their part to spread three angels' messages. So in the time that I've got left tonight, I want to just share with you a few highlights of the first angel. You know, most of this meeting is really just laying the foundation to help you understand how important these three angels' messages are. And tonight is really focused on the first angel. Tomorrow at 11 will be the second angel about the fall of Babylon. And then we'll talk about the mark of the beast at 4 o'clock tomorrow as we talk about the third angel's message. So let's, uh, let's go back to Revelation 14 and let's look at verse 6. And consider this uh, three angels' messages 101 if you've never heard these things before. We all have a lot to learn, and we need to be learners. So, Revelation 14, verse 6, and there's the verse on the screen. John said, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Now, let's just stop with the word angel. The word angel in the Greek is uh, angelos, which means messenger. And it's the same word that's used in the book of Mark, about John the Baptist. Uh, it says that John, it says, behold, I will send my messenger. And the Greek word is angelos. So even though we see the word in, in the text as angel, it literally means messenger with a message, just like John the Baptist was an angelos, messenger with a message. And this uh, angel is seen flying and where is he flying? In the midst of heaven. In other words, he's up there with the message to us down here. And he's trying to get us up there. So he's up in the midst of heaven, which means center stage. 
and he has the everlasting gospel to preach. Now, what does the word gospel mean? Anybody know? It means the good news. So the first angel has the good news. Not the bad news, not all the bad news that's going on in this world, but he's got good news. And he's got everlasting good news. And it says that he has the everlasting gospel to preach. Does your Bible say preach? The word preach, preaching is not done by angels, literal angels in this world. Preaching is done by people. Jesus said, go to all the world and preach the gospel. So this, is, this angel is God's way of saying that this is what he wants people to do. This is what he wants his church to do. This is what he wants his messengers to do. He wants them to preach the gospel, which is the good news of, of Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of the message. See right there on the screen there? Everlasting gospel. God's not going to send a message to the world at the end of time that doesn't have the gospel in the middle of it. The gospel of Jesus. And it says, how far is this to go? Well, let me go back, see if I forgot. Okay. It says, this is to go to, to preach to them that dwell upon the earth, to every nation, every nation, kindred, tongue, which means language and people. So how far are the three angels' messages to go? These messages are worldwide. So God put this in his word 2,000 years ago, and the time comes when he unlocks it. And he said, time to preach it. Time for the three angels. And that time is now. We are in that time. And this message is to go to the whole world. And it says that the gospel is at the heart of this message. If anybody ever comes to you and says, I've got a message for you from God. I've had people come to me and say that. Once I was in Australia and somebody came up to me and he said, I've got a message for you from God. So what do you, what do you think about that? You know, well, do you just accept it? No, you've got to test it by the Bible. Do you, do you, do you just reject it? No, you've got to test it by the Bible because God may have a message for you. Or maybe he doesn't. It depends. You have to test it by the Bible. And as I look, so this person who had a message from me, for me, he said from God, uh, I asked him, is Jesus at the middle of your message that God has for me through you? Is Jesus at the middle of that message? And I don't remember what he said, but he wasn't. So don't let anybody ever tell you they've got a message to you from God if Jesus isn't in the middle of that message. Because he's in the middle of the three angels' messages. And ultimately, it's the good news that he loves us no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what the color of our skin, no matter what our, uh, how much money we have in the bank. He loves us all, and he paid the price on the cross for every single sin we ever committed. Hallelujah. And that is the good news of the Bible. The good news centered in Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So that's the first part of the first angel's message. Let me just ask you, how powerful is that? You see any, the relevance 
of the beginning of the first angel's message? I hope so. And, and we haven't even, you know, we haven't even gotten to the second angel or even the first half or the second half of the first angel. So these messages are powerful. They are full of, uh, of weight and they are just uh, incredible. So there's verse six. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell upon the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And then it says, saying with what kind of a voice? With a loud voice. Not with a quiet voice, but with a loud voice. And the reason why the angel speaks with a loud voice is because he wants to get people's attention. In the midst of all the distractions and the you know, TV programs and the movies and our cell phone apps, you know, you walk through an airport and almost everybody has got their face on their phones. Almost everybody. It's an amazing thing to see. Uh, we have so, and I'm not saying we should never use our cell phones, but, you know, the point is we've got so many things that are distracting us these days, and God's trying to get our attention. So he speaks with a loud voice, and he says, Fear God, which means put God first in your life. How important is that? Fear God and give glory to Him. In this world, most of the time, we give glory to who? Ourselves. You know, glory to me. We, we, we're, we're hardwired as fallen humans to give glory to ourselves. And God wants to change our way of thinking so we realize that we're not here to just draw attention to ourselves. We are here to understand our maker, that God made us, he loves us, he paid the price for us, and he wants us to learn, and it takes a, a while to learn this, you know, you don't learn this in school. You go to first grade, you learn how to, you know, eventually, it's first, second, third grade, you learn how to read, how to write, you learn math, arithmetic, but you don't learn how to give glory to God. We learn this from the first angel's message. It's a, it's a, new, a new revelation. Fearing God also means putting God above man. So if men say, don't do this or don't believe that, we need to say, well, God, what do you have to say? What do you want me to believe? Because I'm going to put you first more than people. You know, it's, uh, I'm, not I'm certainly not saying that husbands and wives shouldn't stick together. I believe they should, but... It's, it's significant that we all got into this mess because a man put his wife above the Lord. When Eve ate the fruit and said, Adam, eat. Adam, am I going to follow God who said, don't do it, or am I going to follow my wife? And he made the wrong choice. He should have put his arm around his wife. He should have said, Eve, I love you. I'm not going to divorce you over this. I'm going to stay with you. 
but I can't eat that fruit because God told me, don't eat it. That's what he should have said, but he didn't. It all started because a human put another human above the Lord. That's how it happened. You know, and the Bible says, you shall have no other gods before me. That also means people. Don't let a person become a god so that you put a person above the Lord. Uh, It's taken me quite a while to learn that lesson. (laughs) Quite a while. Now notice why he says to do this. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. We're in a judgment time. Remember we talked about last night about how Jesus read the hearts of the people that were trying to entangle him in his talk? Jesus read their hearts, and he reads our hearts. He knows everything about us. He knows everything about me. He knows everything about you, and, and we are in a time of judgment where decisions are being made. Whose side are we on? Are we on the side of Jesus? Are we on the side of God? Are we on the side of the Bible? Or are we on the side, ultimately, of the devil? There's no neutral ground in this conflict. Uh, We all have to make a choice. And the Lord tells us it's judgment time. Now, some people criticize those who preach the three angels' messages, and they say, there is no judgment before the return of Jesus. They say, that can't be true. They say, Jesus did it all on the cross, and the idea of a judgment where where God makes decisions about people's lives before Jesus comes back, they say, that can't be right. And they, they say, that's taking away the assurance of salvation through Jesus. They say, that's denying the gospel. I don't buy that. I don't buy that because my Bible says that we are in the judgment time. The Bible says the judgment takes place before the second coming because the first angel says the judgment has come, the hour of judgment has come, and that's before the second coming. And so what's happening is uh, God is telling us that he's looking at people to see who are the real followers of Christ as compared to those who just profess to be followers of Christ. Uh, If you look at the church today, and I'm talking about not just my church, but the world churches, all the different churches around the world, there's really two kinds of people in this this world among different churches. There are those who are professed Christians and those who are real Christians, right? And the judgment will decide which group we're in. Are we real Christians or are we just uh, professed Christians? And something else that I've learned is when you realize that there's a judgment that we're in a judgment time, the more that gets into the mind and penetrates the heart, then what happens, this is God's plan, is that our need will get higher for Jesus. You know, if you realize that you're being judged, then you'll also realize you need a savior. 
right? And it's amazing that the judgment and the everlasting gospel are in the same message. God gives us the message of the judgment so we'll feel our need for the gospel. They go together. They're not against each other. They work together. They work together. God wants us to feel our need for the, for the, uh, for the gospel. A good doctor will run tests to see what's going on with you, and if he finds that you are sick, he will recommend a remedy. Isn't that right? That's what a good physician will do, and that's what God does. Jesus said those who are, uh, those who are whole don't need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The biggest challenge the Lord has is to impress us with our need of a Savior. And when we realize we're in a judgment time and we realize, Lord, I, there's no way that I can stand on my own. I have too many sins. That's when I need the good news. The good news is that Jesus paid the price for all my sins. And there's not a one of us that's so bad, that's got so many sins, that Jesus can't save us. Not a one of us. That's the good news. So the judgment and the good news go together. The judgment message designed to impress us that we need the good news. They go together. And this is all part of the first angel's, first angel's message. And then the last part of the message there says, and worship him that made... Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. So here's a message about worshiping our maker. You know, you, you can hardly go to a, a national park and not see images of cavemen, you know, getting more and more like human, and then the the people in the national park will say, millions of years ago, we got out of the caves and we learned how to start a fire and then we eventually evolved to who we are today. My response is nonsense. That's total nonsense. That's the kind of thing that the people would say in the days of Noah. That's the kind of thing that the scientists said. It's never rained. It can't rain. And the scientists today say, we, were, we, we evolved from, from the cosmic soup, from a big bang. Eventually, the goop became you. Oh, really? Really? Your brain that's so complicated and your body that's so complex just came from mindless matter? Really? It's not true. It's scientific gobbledygook. That's what it is. And the first angel's message is telling us to get back to our maker. Our maker, the one who made us. Now, oh, I, I uh, took this picture of, the, of a lady once when I was traveling in an airport. 
No, actually, I was in a Walmart when I saw this picture, saw this lady, and I said, would you mind if I took a picture of this and show it in my seminars? She said, sure. So she just, you know, showed me her shirt, and she smiled, and I took a picture. It says, y'all, this was in a, a southern Walmart, y'all need Jesus. And isn't that the truth? <laughs> we all need Jesus. That is the truth. Now, as far as uh, worshiping the maker, look at this verse. This is an amazing verse. And like I said, you, you know, this is just three angels 101. We need to study these things more. But uh, John 1.10, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, he, referring to Christ, was in the world 2,000 years ago, and the world was what? Made by him, and the world knew him not. So this verse is telling us who is the maker of heaven and earth? It's Jesus. That's right. Jesus worked with the Father when they said, let us make man in our image. And this verse specifically says that it was Christ. It was the one who was in the world. He is the maker of heaven and earth. In other words, God became a man. God came down. God was born in Bethlehem. God became a little tiny baby with little fingers. Did he suck his thumb or not? I don't know. But he was a little baby. A little baby, and then he grew up with no sin, no sin. And then he died on a cross, an excruciating death, to pay the price for your sins and mine's. We all need Jesus. He is the center of the Bible. He is the center, and his goal is to, is to soften these hard hearts of ours. Soften our hard hearts to get into us so we get on our knees and we say, Lord God, you're my maker. You love me. You died for me. I want you in my life. I need you in my life. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't come here from uh, Idaho just to talk to your head. God didn't call me just to talk to people's heads. God called me to talk to your heart, to talk to your conscience, so that when these meetings are over, you will be impacted by them. And, and you, will, you will realize, if you don't already, your need for a strong relationship with Jesus in this world of sin. I do. I realize my need for Christ. I don't want you to give glory to me, and Nivelle doesn't want you to give glory to him. I'm speaking, and he's singing, and we both want you to focus your eyes on God and on Jesus and to give glory to him and to understand his love and his, his power. A couple more slides, and then I'm done. Three angels' messages. 
God's last message to his world is the three angels' messages. Just like the days of Noah, just like the days of Moses, just like the days of Noah, uh, or Jonah, just like the days of John the Baptist, just like the days of Martin Luther, just like the days of William Miller, God has a message for this world, for you and for me, and it's the three angels. And these messages are designed by God to help us to put him first, to put Jesus first, so that we can be, be ready for the return of the Savior. That's what these messages are all about. And uh, this may surprise you at what I'm about to say. But if you look all around the world, that there's a saying, there's a famous saying, that there's three things you'll find anywhere in the world. And that is a Roman Catholic, Coca-Cola, and a Seventh-day Adventist. <laughs> you'll find them everywhere. <laughs> I don't know who, made up, who said that, but it's, uh, it's true. If you look around the world, there is only one group of people that are dedicated to communicating and to giving the three angels' messages in this world. There's only one, and that is the Seventh-day Adventist movement. We're the only ones. You can visit every church in Texas, and you'll never come to a meeting like this one where, where a, a minister or a preacher is standing in front of a group and going through angel one, angel two, angel three. You'll never find any other church that's doing this. Now, this doesn't mean that we're the only Christians. That's for sure. God has Christian people in all churches. Just like William Miller was a Baptist. And uh, the people that grew into the Advent movement were Methodists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and all different churches. They heard the call and they responded just like Luther was a Catholic. So God can use people anywhere in the world, of any church, any denomination, he can, and he is using people. But it is also a fact that there's only one movement in this world that is giving the three angels messages. I've never seen any other one. Now here's a statement from one of the writings in this church, in our church, and this is what it says. Uh, in a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the Word of God. They have been given, given a work of the most solemn importance, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages. There is no other work of so great importance they are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. This is one of the books in our church uh, written by a woman that was led by the Lord to remind us that we have a calling, we have a message, and it is to give the three angels. And that's what we are trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, I think I've got two more verses and then Nivelle will sing a closing song. Uh, I, I, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but I skipped verse 13. When I read the three angels' messages in Revelation 14, 6 to 12, 
and then I went to verse 14, I skipped verse 13. Any of you notice that? Well, let's go back to verse 13. Notice the verse that I skipped. And there it is on the screen. Right after the three angels' messages are given, then comes verse 13, then comes the second coming in verse 14. And verse 13 says, I heard a voice from heaven. And the voice said to John, write, write this down. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from hereafter. In other words, those who learn the three angels' messages from the 1830s and 1840s and 50s and down the runway, those who learn these messages as they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger and give themselves to the work of helping other people understand the three angels' messages, if they die before Jesus returns, they're blessed. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from hereafter. Yea, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. William Miller is dead, but his works are still following him. And people throughout the history of this movement for the last, since the 1830s and 40s, it's been somewhere around 170 years, 80 years, uh, there's been people that have been helping to get the movement growing, which is why you can go anywhere in the world and you can find a, uh, a Roman Catholic, you can find Coca-Cola, probably McDonald's too, and you can find a Seventh-day Adventist because people are giving these messages and those that have died, the blessing is upon them. The blessing is upon those who are involved in the three angels and who die, they rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. So if I should die before Jesus comes back again, I want that blessing on me. I want to die in the Lord and be blessed and know that my works, by God's grace, will follow me. Last verse. Revelation 14, verse 14. After the three angels and then the blessing pronounced on those who die before Jesus comes, who have been involved with the three angels. Verse 14 says, I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat upon the cloud thrust in his sickle upon the earth, and the earth was harvested. I tell you, the harvest is getting riper all around us. Can you see it? Uh, wickedness is getting more wicked. And those who are drawing to Jesus are getting closer to him. And both sides are developing for the harvest. The righteous and the wicked the wise and the foolish, those who are ready and those who are not ready. And I want to be among those who is ready for the coming of Jesus. Don't you? And that's why we're here. That's what these meetings are all about, to teach you Bible prophecy, to bring you closer to Jesus, to teach you the good news, to encourage you, to bless you, so that someday when Jesus comes, we can all 
meet together again in a better land. The judgment is set. The books have been opened. How shall you stand in that great day when every word, thought, and action? God, the righteous judge shall wait. How shall you stand in that great day? How shall you stand in that great day? Shall you be found? Before him wanting 
your sins be washed away? Will your sins be washed away? Will your sins be washed away? Think about it now. How will you stand in that great day? Will you be washed in the blood? Or will you have your sins remain? How will you stand in that great day? Will your sins Uh, let's let's pray together dear Heavenly Father great God of the Bible we've heard your voice tonight speaking to us through the Holy Spirit and through the Bible and through music through such a wonderful powerful song and Lord we all we all need you we all need Jesus and I just pray for every person here that we will realize you love us, you have a plan for us, you, you definitely haven't given up on us, you care for us, and you are longing for us to be ready for the day when Jesus will come down from the sky in the clouds with all the angels to take your people to a better land, to the new Jerusalem, to a, a, a beautiful place that we can't even imagine. Thank you for giving us a message. Uh, it's a different message. It's the three angels' messages to help us to understand the issues facing this world and to help us to come to Jesus. Please bless us all as we go our separate ways. Bring us back tomorrow at 11 o'clock for angel two and at four o'clock for angel three. And we just thank you, Lord, for your love for us. In Jesus' name.